Thank you, Josh. I want to say welcome to everybody who's in the room and everyone who's with us online, wherever you are. We are grateful that you are with us. Um, you just saw Josh Miller, who's our new director of worship and music ministry. For those of you who are with us online, Josh, thank you for your leadership. I want to uh, say a special welcome to those of you who are here for perhaps the first time, or maybe you're watching for the first time. Uh, we are so grateful that you're with us. We know this New Year season is a time when a lot of people begin uh, thinking about finding a new church home. We certainly hope that this place could be that for you. If you'd like to connect with our pastors or staff, uh, you can go to a, you can click on a connection link. If you're online, you should see a link pop up in the chat momentarily. Those of you who are in the room, there's a purple card with a QR code that you can scan and follow that form. And no matter where you are or when you're watching this, um, you can always go to our website, arapahoumc.org slash connect, and a member of our team will reach out to you a couple of days after you submit that form. So we're glad that you're here. We are beginning a new worship series today called Broken Glass and Brilliant Light. And as you heard in the video a moment ago, we're going to be looking at each of the six stained glass windows that adorn our sanctuary. Um, and each of these windows captures images and stories from Scripture that, that not only illuminate the story uh, of Christ dating back to the prophecy of Isaiah that we'll talk about today, but, but really for us in 2022, it also communicates our, our vision and, and values as the people called Arapaho, the people called AUMC. And so we're going to be taking a closer look at each of these windows, one window a week for six weeks, and we'll be talking about the stories and what values come to the surface in each of them. And so today we're going to talk about um, this nice gentleman over my left shoulder here named Isaiah. He's the older looking uh, man who uh, seems like it's, it's hard to tell what expressions on his face, perhaps one of tiredness, perhaps one of hope. And we see this stump and this little sprig growing out of it. We see some light shining down on top of it. Let's talk about Isaiah today and the root of Jesse, the stump and the sprig, as we say. Um, because I'll be honest, when I first stepped into this worship space, uh, when I knew I was going to be the senior pastor here uh, almost three years ago, um, I was taken aback when I saw this stained glass and its position in the sanctuary. Um, because it's the image of a prophet. We'll talk about what a prophet is in the Hebrew Bible. But it's the image of a, of a prophetic person who's, who's casting a huge vision, but a difficult vision, one that not everybody wants to hear, speaking hard truths, speaking truth to power, calling the powerful down from their thrones and, and asking us to establish justice and righteousness for the poor and the suffering. And this is the image that looks over my shoulder as the preacher. Right? When I walked into this space, I thought, wow, that communicates something to me as the person who's going to be stepping onto this space and, and daring to proclaim the word of God. I think it also says something about who we are as a people, that we look with this window over the preacher's shoulder, that we look for a message that is prophetic, that we seek not only to hear a prophetic message, but to be a prophetic people. That's what I want to talk about today. What does it mean for Isaiah to hang out over our shoulders? What does it mean for us to be a prophetic people? Isaiah is going to help us wrestle with that question today. We're going to take a look at the scripture that this, uh, this primary image of the, the stump and the shoot comes from. It's Isaiah chapter 11. And before we begin, I want to share, maybe you have no clue what the book of Isaiah is about or who this guy is. 
Um, the book of Isaiah is a collection of a couple of different books, essentially, that we lump together into this thing called Isaiah. And it's, it's the stories and prophecies of a man who, who lived uh, as an Israelite during, in, in this 11th chapter during the initial exile into Assyria. So Israel was this great nation, and they had, uh, they had this wonderful, problematic king named David, that those were the glory days, and, and he was awesome, and, and he's kind of like this stump, this thing that used to be a great tree, but is no longer. And for many reasons, we'll get into a moment, um, the, their society breaks down, and they're conquered by the Assyrians, and then they're sent into exile. This people that had once been promised this promised land that thought they were home for good and for eternity are now no longer home. And not only that, they're wondering who they are because their whole identity was wrapped up in being God's beloved children. And it's hard to feel beloved when you're not home and when you're in exile. And Isaiah is a prophet who's going to help them process through that, to understand what led them there and also to understand the possibilities of what could be if they were to take some steps in faith. And so we begin in, in chapter 11, verse 1, where it says this, a shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse, that's David's father. A branch will sprout from his roots. The Lord's spirit will rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of planning and strength, a spirit of knowledge and fear or respect for the Lord. He will delight in fearing or respecting the Lord. He won't judge by appearances nor decide by hearsay. He'll judge the needy with righteousness and decide with equity for those who suffer in the land. He will strike the violent with the rod of his mouth. By the breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt around his hips and faithfulness the belt around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb and, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together and a lion will eat straw. Like an ox, a nursing child will play over the snake's hole. Toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den. They won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, just as the water covers the sea. For the word of God in scripture and for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, let us say, thanks be to God. And if you're new, you're like, oh, I was supposed to say thanks be to God. Whoops. You'll get it next time. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I love liturgy, don't you? Yeah. So uh, let's talk about this text a little bit. As I said before, it's, it's this man named Isaiah who, who is pictured here as this older man. He's, he's a prophet, and he's a, a part of, of Israel. He's a part of, of God's people, and, and he's describing, helping them process through, through imagery and through symbolism, what it means to be a people who the promise they thought that they had made has, has been broken, and why? What, what went wrong? Why, why are we not the great mighty nation we once were? Why is David's great tree seen to be cut down? David's monarchy line has ended, and 
there's a lot of reasons for that. Why are we in exile in Syria, the, the, or in Assyria? Why? 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 Prophets. Now, a prophet or prophecy, that might be a word, especially in a Christian connotation, that might make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, depending on what Christian tradition you were or were not raised in, right? Uh, this might be the part of the sermon where you're like, yeah, this is going to go one of two ways. I'm going to know very quickly if this is my church home or not. Um, uh, <laughs> preacher's talking about prophecy. Uh, I've seen the postcards. Um, so prophecy is not psychic ability. It's not soothsaying. It's not eyes getting cloudy, milky white and saying, in the year 2012. You know, it's not, it's not that. It's not. It'd be cool if it was, but it's not that. Um, a prophet in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament basically does four things. A good prophet, anyways. There are some not so good prophets. But the good prophets, they do basically four things. Number one is they call attention to what's gone wrong. In churchy language, we might say that they offer conviction of sin, right? They identify what's gone wrong. And what frequently has gone wrong is not some sort of individual or isolated sins. It's the things that break societies apart. Why do empires fall? Why do nations fade away? It's not because of one little thing that happens. It's not because somebody's army was bigger than the other one. Most of the time, it's these little things. It's the fractures that form. In Israel, it was things like not caring for the widow or the orphan or the poor, the things that God had told them they had to pay attention to from the very beginning. When those things don't happen, when righteousness and justice no longer flow through the streets like a river, then things go wrong. So the prophet has to convict that sin and say, hey, let's not pretend like we ended up here because Assyria was just that much bigger and badder. There was more to the story. The second thing a prophet does is they, they say what's going to happen if nothing changes. Guys, if we don't make some changes, then here's what's going to happen. And it's not like some weird, again, not a psychic. It's like, think of in modern terms, think of climate scientists saying, hey, guys, if we don't stop like doing all the stuff we've told you to stop, the earth is going to be on fire, literally. And then we go, well, I don't, I don't want to stop driving my car, you know. Fire, right? They're saying it's good. this is what's going to happen. You've got to listen to us. That's a prophetic voice that we should listen to. Then the third thing that prophets do is they say what needs to change. So it's not enough to be told that you're doing things wrong. Have you ever had someone in your life that just is really good at telling you all the ways that you're wrong but offers you nothing in the way of correction or, or a possibility of how things could be different, right? That's really fun. I've worked for someone like that. Have you? Yeah. So the prophet says, here's what could change. Here's the kind of behaviors and practices and societal structures that need to be implemented if you want a better future. In churchy language, we might call that confession and repentance. And then the last thing that prophets do is they offer a vision of what could be if these changes take place. Because it's much more inspiring to, to be pointed to, to be given something that's worth working towards, saying, hey, if this happens, here's the preferred future. Here's the hope-filled future. Maybe a churchy language we could use is the holy imagination of what could be we actually do what we know we're called to by our faith. We lived into being God's people. Isaiah is really good at all four parts of what it means to be a prophet. And what we just read in Isaiah 11 is kind of parts three and four. It's the happy parts of like, hey, here's what needs to change. Here, here's the kind of leader we really do need because maybe David's line wasn't as great as we thought it was. And here's what's possible when these changes take place. And so then let's talk about who this right kind of leader is. 
In the first couple of verses, Isaiah describes who this, who this right, this perfect, you might even say, this messiah, this messiah kind of leader could be. In the Christian tradition, I want to assume that we know nothing if we're walking in today, because maybe this is your first time in, in church, at least in a really long time. Um, in the Christian tradition, we interpret the prophecy of Isaiah through the lens of the four Gospels, of, of our understanding of who Jesus is as the fulfillment of that Isaiah prophecy. That's why a lot of times we read from Isaiah as a lead-up to Christmas during the season of Advent. In fact, the Gospels make these connections as well. The Gospel of Luke, for instance, uh, when Jesus is introducing himself in public ministry, he unfurls the scroll of Isaiah and reads from it as an affirmation of his fulfillment of that prophecy. So these first two verses, Isaiah is describing what this kind of leader will look and feel like. He says three things. First, he says the leader is full of wisdom and understanding, as opposed to perhaps arrogance and foolishness. He says that the leader will be full of planning and strength rather than rashness and, and bravado. He says that the leader will be full of knowledge and fear or respect, might be a better word, of the Lord, rather than someone whose only faith is about themselves, right? whose entire world is about their own existence. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at many of the leaders that we are currently presented with, Arrogance, foolishness, rashness, bravado, self-centeredness, these are all too common, or was I the only one watching C-SPAN this week? No, okay, I'm going to keep moving from that. So it turns out some things change over time, and, and some things don't over the course of multiple millennia. And one thing that we are always hungry for is leadership that looks like Isaiah 11. Doesn't it sound nice if we could have a leader like that? Wow, that would be incredible. But here's the thing, we've only received that one messiah, that messiah, the one perfect leader. And you know what we did? The nuttiest thing, we killed him. I'm kidding, and I'm not. It turns out we're kind of fickle when it comes to receiving the perfect kind of leader. And maybe that's right. That's why right when Jesus is about to nope on back to heaven after the uh, resurrection and the ascension, he says, yeah, hey, guess what? You're the body of Christ now. Have fun. What does he mean by that? It can mean a lot of things by that. But one thing I think it means is that in light of who Jesus is, as we look at Isaiah, maybe we're not supposed to be looking for someone else to come and save us from ourselves, but rather we ought to see how we could embody the leadership that we long for. Right? It means that we're called to live into this hope that Isaiah casts, not just for a leader now, but for us as a people who are called to lead the way for the kingdom of God, to usher it into reality. And so my question for us this morning, AUMC, is this, as a prophetic people, will we lead with arrogance or with wisdom? And by that I mean, will we assume that we know what others in our community need, or will we actually ask and then listen? Will we as prophetic people lead with a, look at me, bravado, or will we lead with a more humble strength? Do we do good for the photo ops? And for the feel-goods, or do we do good for the good of it? As a prophetic people, will we lead with the knowledge or fear or respect of the Lord, or will we lead like a people without faith? I am in recovery from my cynicism. It is so easy to let the words, nothing's ever going to change, roll off my tongue. But my faith, my prophetic faith, tells me, I can't say that. Isaiah is sitting in exile. Look at him. He looks so tired and haggard, and he says, I see hope. So do we give in to the cynicism that says nothing's going to change, or do we commit ourselves to the hard work, trusting that God will make a way, even if it's not in our own time? 
I believe that we're not a perfect church, but I believe we're a church that aspires to be that kind of a prophetic church, full of wisdom, full of humble strength, full of faith. Do you believe so? If so, say amen. amen. It's not a sermon about me, it's a sermon about us. So the next two verses, so the first couple of verses describe what kind of leader that they're looking for. And then the next three verses describes how this leader is going to lead. And, and Isaiah names three things here. Once again, he likes threes. He says, number one, this leader is going to lead through what I'll call faith. Faith in this way, meaning looking to God and not looking to the powerful and privileged amongst them. Isaiah says that this person will delight in fearing or respecting the Lord. He won't judge by appearances or decide by hearsay. He's not going to let someone's uh, fancy dress or what people say about them influence him. He's going to consider first, what is God asking me to do in this situation? So he leads through faith. Next, this leader, he says, is going to lead through justice. He says, He'll judge the needy and with righteousness and decide with equity for those who suffer in the land. He's establishing justice in a place that it had long gone without. And then lastly, he says he's going to lead through peace when he says he will strike the violent, not with an army, not with a sword, but with the rod of his mouth. And by the breath of his lips, he, well, he will kill the wicked. That's as close to pacifism as the Old Testament's going to get, friends. Um, but no, it, it's playing with this idea that this king doesn't need an army, doesn't need chariots, doesn't need a sword, that somehow uh, this, this leader, this, this kingdom will be established by different means. This is, this is not a violent war that's being waged. This is some kind of different campaign that we're invited into. And so I, Isaiah asks us to uh, imagine a world where the powerful lose their privilege, where the suffering receive their justice, and where our voices through nonviolent means, silence violence. Do you hear Isaiah? This is a different kind of world. This is not the kind of world that we're going to get a vision of every single place. But this is a world where the powerful lose their privilege, the suffering receive their justice, and our voices are able to silence violence. If that sounds like a world you want to live in, say amen. Well, that's good because that's what we're working towards, friends. And here's what that world looks like. This is what Isaiah says the world's going to look like when that kind of faith, that kind of justice, that kind of peace is established. He says the wolf will lie with the lamb. I want you to hear the predator and prey language in this. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, bears eating grass. The young will lie down, their young will lie down together. And a lion will eat straw like an ox. A nursing child will play over the snakes. Whole toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den. Isaiah has been familiar with toddlers, it looks like. <laughs> but they won't harm or destroy. These predators will not harm or destroy anywhere. On my holy mountain, says God, the earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord just as the water covers the sea. So as I was learning more about this passage in preparation for this sermon, I came across an 11th century CE French sage named Rabbi Shlomo Yachaki, which, let me just tell you, sermon prayer will take you some interesting places. Uh, he's better known by the acronym Rashi, which is really cool. I want to have like a one name at some point. I just want to be like... Scott, you know, like Cher or Bono or Rashi. I think that'd be cool, Maggie. Don't laugh at me. You could be Maggie, you know? 
possibilities are endless. So Rashi, he says it is impossible to read Isaiah 11 without understanding Isaiah 10, that we have to take Isaiah's words in chapter 10 into account when we read this very hope-filled message in Isaiah 11 so that we don't accidentally misidentify ourselves. Now here's the part where you've been having fun up until now that Rashi is going to mess with us. Why? Well, because in chapter 10, Isaiah talks about what led, what led Israel into this predicament in the first place. Why the northern kingdom of Israel and many of the places of the southern kingdom of Judah were taken into the hands of the Assyrians. Why did this happen? Chapter 10 says why. God, through Isaiah, wants the people to know why they will be judged. He says this. Doomed to those who pronounce wicked decrees and keep writing harmful laws to deprive the needy of their rights and to rob the poor among my people of justice, to make widows their loot, to steal from orphans. Isaiah 10, 1 through 2, the word of God for the people of God. Not as many of you that time. When we read Isaiah chapter 11 in that light, we realize that God is actually sharing some really tough love with Israel and with us, Richardson of Far North Dallas. We tend to identify ourselves with the prey or alongside the prey in these stories. We want to be the, the sweet little lamb and that mean lion's just being mean to us. I want that lion to leave me alone. We're the sweet lambs and yet, and yet God asks us to see how often we are the predator. God through Isaiah does not let us off that easy to live in a world that Isaiah casts vision for. What must change, or more directly put, who must change? For the wolf to lie down with the lamb, is it the predator or the prey's responsibility to cease their unending, unsatiated hunger? Whose hunger has to be contented? For the leopard to lie down with the young goat, whose grip on power must be released? For the calf to lie down with the young lion and feed together, who must ensure that that space is in fact safe? Is it the calf's job? For the little children to lead, who must submit to the leadership of the seemingly ill-prepared or inexperienced young? Allow me to get prophetic for a moment, church. Now I'm going to step on a lot of toes, including my own. For the cow and the bear to graze, who must raise the minimum wage in this land to be a livable one? For their young to lie down together, who was willing to right the wrongs of generational wealth inequality that allowed this land to prosper? Who will address the sins of redlining and Jim Crow and separate but anything but equal? For the lion to eat straw like an ox, who is willing to raise their own taxes? Now someone cut off the preacher's mic. So that they might have less, so that the poor might have a fighting chance. For the nursing child's hand to play over the snake's hole, who will call out the concretely and concretely address our predatory student debt practices that keep people in financial bondage from an early age? For toddlers to reach right over the serpent's den. Will we commit not to bite the hand of the young person who dares to ask that the lives of the next generation possess more dignity than the ones that came before? Yeah. Whose job is it? And do we know who we are? Because I look out in this room and I see some lambs. I see a lot of lions. 
When I look in the mirror, there's days that I feel like a lamb, but most days I see a big old, well, I don't see a big mane, but I see a big old man. <laughs> Will we be the people who finally put an end to the harm and destruction on God's holy mountain? Or are we simply a people who bring our thoughts and prayers for a Messiah who might come down and fix it for us? My, my, my. Isaiah is desperate for us to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, my friends, a healthy respect for God's will. And my prophetic hope, Isaiah's prophetic hope, I dare say our prophetic hope, is that we might be a people who catch the vision that Isaiah has cast, not just in word, but in action as well. And maybe this is a hard vision for you to catch at times. And I wonder if maybe that's why Isaiah uses so much language about the young, about the children, about the calf, about the lamb. Why would that be? Who better to imagine a possibility than a child? So many of us trade in our imagination for cynicism or what we call realism, but it's just dressed up cynicism. And maybe it's time for us to hand our keys back over to the children to say, would you lead us please? Because all we've got is serpents and lions around here. Andy, you got it? You ready? She's ready in her sweatpants. She's ready. I vote for Andy. All right, if you've drifted off, here's the ending. Check back in. I'm right here. So I see this image. Let's talk about the, the, the stump. Let's close talking about the stump. I see this image of the stump and the sprig coming up. That's the image that I'm left with this, this Sunday. Because I see a lot in that simple image. This great root that has a lot of strength and deep roots and yet isn't what it once was. And this little sprig coming up with new life and possibilities. I see this image of the stump and the shoot and I see this church. I see you, the people called AUMC. I see the tradition upon which we stand, the, the tradition of who we've been as a church for decades, the tradition of our Wesleyan theology, our Methodist church, and, and yet I also see the new thing that God is clearly up to. Do you see it? I see the way that God leads us to be grounded specifically in the soil in which we've been planted, to have deep roots here in Richardson and North Dallas and RISD with Doby Pre-K, with Network of Community Ministries, with the various interfaith connections that we've got. I see those deep roots. And yet I also see the audacious hope that we have as a people of resurrection that even when the stump seems to be cut off, look at that sprig, shoot on up. And we always ask God what's next. Ultimately, I see that imaginative reality that we invite upon our streets and our communities and upon our earth as the people of God. That we believe these are not just idle words that Isaiah is speaking into the ether, but these are convicting words meant to send us into action in our own communities, in our own homes, in our lives, in our schools, in our streets. I see that lived out in a very simple and yet powerful way through our journey to racial justice group. This is on my mind today because I was just engaged in some work yesterday. But Reverend Kathy Sweeney has been uh, leading the effort of journey to racial justice, which is a, a cohort of uh, a, f a couple dozen folks that are, call this church home who represent myriad different backgrounds and, and cultures and, and faith traditions. And we gather around tables to have really brave and hard conversations on anti-racism. 
to try to talk about uh, the, the history of, of not just generally or, or ethereally, uh, but, but specifically here in Dallas, specifically here in North Dallas. To foster a sibling relationship with Hamilton Park UMC, a historically black church in a historically black neighborhood here in Dallas that we've grown in relationship over the last several years. To, to not just talk around tables and not just hold brave conversations, but to also do ministry together, to, to not say, oh, we know what you need, but instead to say, we will submit to your leadership and how can we help? Yesterday, Andy was with me down at the park where we participated in the Path to Nourishment, which is a ministry that's been operating there for a few years now. And they lead expertly. It's a, you walk in, it's a gymnasium that is just filled to the gills of food. And folks that are in need of groceries, because we know how expensive groceries are right now, and we don't know how expensive they can be if you are poor, most likely. Um, and Andy was, how long did we work there, Andy? Five hours? And she had a smile on her face the whole time. She was barking out orders to me with the clipboard, because she knows her place. <laughs> it's, in, it's in charge. And we were loading up carts full of food and packing cars till they couldn't take any more. And... It was incredible to see the work that the park is doing that we could participate in because we're following their lead. And I'm excited next Sunday to gather around tables with them to have more conversations, but not just conversations that stop at tables, but that lead us into actual change in our communities. Because we're not going to fix the world. We're not going to end anti-racism on the globe, but we can make a heck of a difference here in Richardson and North Dallas and these greater communities. So I'm grateful for Reverend Kathy's leadership. I'm grateful for those of you who are participating. And I'm grateful for everybody who's not in that group but is making this work your own in your life because you're helping to achieve Isaiah's vision. When Isaiah saw that sprout spring up, he saw you. I dare say, I pray, he saw us. My friends, we're not a perfect church, but I know that we can be a prophetic church. And here's what I believe to the core of who I am. Prophetic people are grounded in the world. God has planted them in. And a prophetic spirit allows us to grow an imagination of what could be. What a wonderful window to look over my shoulder every single Sunday. May it ever be so. Amen.